Welcome to our show. I'm waiting for the clock. Here we go. All right. Welcome to our show. This is the Environmental Justice Report with me, Janine Moloff, the producer and host. Tonight we're going to discuss the political origins of the Flint water crisis. And I know a day after those, those thugs hit D.C., tearing it apart, it's kind of hard to think about other things, but we need to. We cannot allow the powerful power brokers that bank on us becoming so overwhelmed that we just disengage. We can't afford to do that. So with no further ado, I'm going to get on with the show. Political origins of the Flint water crisis. Now, I'm going back to the Flint water crisis of 2016. Five years later, now when people mention Flint, they think lead poisoning through contaminated water. And some minor players were finally prosecuted, but the true power leading the charge was never brought to justice. Tonight, I will discuss those power players, including the secretive but powerful Mackinac Center. It's up there along with ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council. But tonight, we're going to talk about Mackinac. Get ready to be further enraged. Scope of this crime includes very definitely environmental racism and political racism as well. The very essence of local democracy was nullified in Michigan with Governor Snyder's, Republican Governor Snyder's, then emergency manager law. To date, that unconstitutional law remains and is spread to other states like a cancer. So the Flint water crisis really wasn't an accident. It was caused by a series of decisions made by or at least influenced by big money interests. Frankly, it was more about crushing local democracy using what should have been declared as an unconstitutional law. Um, well, it was more about crushing local democracy than anything else. They used what a, a, a law that should have been declared unconstitutional, and it was more about that than it was about water. The fact that poor children of color were damaged wasn't even a concern of these powerful groups. It could be argued that the damage inflicted on innocent people by the rich and powerful, including the DeVos family, was considered to be, quote, acceptable collateral damage, end quote, at least as regarded, as regarded by these, these powerful one percenters. So the beginning of this report will relay the timeline first of events in Flint. And the second part is going to discuss the powerful private money interest that engineered what the this crime against humanity, because that's all, that, that is what it is, and how they got away with it. So first of all, the timeline of the Flint water poisoning, and that's what I'm going to call it. This wasn't a crisis, was a poisoning. So from NPR, National Public Radio, the timeline, there was an article written by Merritt Kennedy in April of 2016. The headline was Lead-Laced Water in Flint, a step-by-step -step look the makings of a crisis. So we know that lead was seeping into the drinking water in Flint, Michigan, and that's what triggered this massive public health crisis. It also prompted President Obama to declare a federal state of emergency there and how it began. Actually, this began before 2016. I stand corrected. So the problem began, as we now know, the city of Flint switched its water supply in 2014. 
And almost immediately, the residents of Flint um, started complaining about the quality of the water. And you have to understand, Flint is a majority black city, for one. And according to the census, uh, back then, 40% of the people there live in poverty. And that time, supply, supply pipes had, according to this article, quote, sustained major corrosion and lead was leaching into the water, end quote. I can't even begin to emphasize this point. The water was so bad that the pipes had become, had sustained major corrosion, okay? And then lead was leaching into the water. And we know that lead poisoning causes permanent neurological damage, especially to children. So this article is written in 2016. Um, and the city switched back to its original water supply late, uh, I'm guessing in 2015, 2016. This was written in 2016. And they said it switched back late last year, so that would have been 2015. Okay, fine. By then, though, the damage to the pipes has been done. And the damage to the people and children of Flint especially has definitely been done. To quote the World Health Organization regarding lead poisoning or high lead levels, quote, high blood lead levels are especially harmful to children and pregnant women and can cause learning disabilities, behavioral problems, and mental retardation, end quote. And that was from the World Health Organization. So here's how the crisis unfolded. June 2012 to 2013, City of Flint is in some dire financial straits. Uh, you know, basically they've been hit with, uh, you know, a car industry that has abandoned them and also jobs left because of several bilateral trade agreements. So Flint is looking for cheaper water. So they look to see whether they can save money by switching from the provider they had, which was the, the Detroit Water and Sewage Department, and Flint, you know, city and state officials did offer them an alternative. Flint could build its own pipeline to connect to the, I don't know if I can pronounce this, Karagnandi Water Authority, KWA. Now, that particular option uh, projected that it would save the region $200 million over 25 years, and that was based on the city council meeting minutes. Okay, well, that doesn't sound too bad. But then on April 16th, Flint Emergency Manager Ed Kurtz told the state treasurer the city is going to join the KWA. Okay. But a day later, Detroit's water system tells Kurtz it's terminating service to the city. Um, and that happened a year later in April 2014. Okay, so there's, they have to change. Um, they wanted to switch to the KWA, but it didn't happen. On April 25, 2014, the switch was made to the Flint River. The city did need, and so basically here's what happened. April 16, Flint Emergency Manager Ed Kurtz tells the state treasurer the city's going to join the KWA. Sounds like a good plan. A day later, Detroit's water system tells the emergency manager Kurtz 
that they are determining that they're they're not going to provide water service to the city anymore. And so then they switched to the Flint River. Now, and that's because until Flint's pipeline is operational, the one that connects them to the KWA, they needed a source of water in the interim. So they looked to the Flint River. And the Flint River was also their main water source until the 1960s. There's a reason for that. Flint River water started um, being flowing to the city on April 25th, and the city characterized it in a press release as a temporary switch. The idea was to ease concerns of residents, especially regarding water quality. And here's an excerpt from the press release. Quote, even with a proven track record of providing perfectly good water for Flint, there still remains lingering uncertainty about the quality of the water. In an effort to dispel myths and promote the truth about the Flint River and its viability as a residential water resource, there have been numerous studies and tests conducted on its water by several independent organizations. Michael Prisby of Missouri, Michigan, DEQ Office of Drinking Water, verified that the quality of the water being put out meets all of our drinking water standards and Flint water is safe to drink, end quote. Another quote, quote, it's regular, good, pure drinking water, and it's right in our backyard, said Mayor Dwayne, Dane Walling. This is the first step in the right direction for Flint, and we take this monumental step forward in controlling the future of our community's most, most precious resource, end quote. Now, those same officials didn't treat the Flint River water to check to make sure it didn't cause corrosion in the pipes, okay? Instead, according to Michigan Radio, they took a, quote, wait-and-see approach. Now, that's dangerous in and of itself. As far as I'm concerned, that's malfeasance. You don't wait and see to make sure that the water won't corrode pipes. You can find out before you let it flow. Okay, May, residents complain. Apparently, the water smelled, and it was an odd color. And it's 70% harder than the former water source, according to Michigan Live or M Live. Okay, first of all, water shouldn't smell. Not if it's safe to drink. And it definitely shouldn't be a, a shade of brown. In August, E. coli and total coliform bacteria was detected. And so multiple advisories were issued to residents to boil their water. You boil water because it's not safe to drink unless you kill the bacteria. It's like what they do in India. I know, I've been to India. So then there was an informational document on Document Cloud from Michigan's Department of Environmental Quality, the MDEQ, and said the city addressed the problem by increasing chlorine levels in the water. October 13th, General Motors stopped using Flint River water. This is the scary part. General Motors said it's going, that it was going to stop using Flint River water. Get this. Fearing corrosion in its machine. What in the world did the government in, in Michigan think that that Flint water was going to do to the bodies of young children? If they're worried about corrosion in the machines, this can't be, mean that this is safe to drink. So GM spokesman Tom Wickham tells Michigan Live, quote, because of all the metal, 
You don't want the higher chlorine water to result in corrosion. We noticed this some time ago and the discussions have been going on for some time. Now, there's a photo here that I can't share with you, but it shows two nails. One nail after one month of exposure to Detroit water, and the nail has a little corrosion, but it looks pretty normal. And then there's another nail below it that is that was subjected to Flint River water, and it looks that nail looks like it's 100 years old, literally. So much rust and corrosion on it, it may as well be a second skin. So January 2nd, 2015, disinfection byproducts detected. Flint was found, according to the city of Flint, to be in violation of the Safe Drinking Water Act, this is 2015, because the level of total TTHM or trihalomethanes, trihalomethanes, it's hard to say, TTHM, um, in the water, TTHM are byproducts from the disinfection process and they happen when chlorine interacts with organic matter in the water. Some types of TTHM are possible carcinogens for humans, and that's according to the CDC, the Center for Disease Control. So the state started buying bottled water for its employees at government offices. And once again, for their employees, but what about the babies in Flint? February 25th, tests showed high level, high lead levels in the homes. There was a city test, and quote, it revealed high lead content in the water of the Flint residents' home, end quote. And that's Michigan Radio reporting. And it was uh, at Leanne Waters' home, I'm sorry, Leanne Walters' home. And the quote was, quote, turns up with a lead content of 104 parts per billion. Uh, 15 parts per billion is the EPA's limit for lead in drinking water. Okay, so she's way over that. And then that same April, Walter said her child was diagnosed with lead poisoning. There was an independent test done by Virginia Tech researchers, um, and they found that lead levels at 13,200 ppb, that water would be considered hazardous waste at 5,000 ppb. So let me backtrack here. April, Leanne Walters says her child's diagnosed with lead poisoning. There was an independent test done by some people from Virginia, some researchers at Virginia Tech. They found lead levels in her home at 13,200 ppbs. And according to environmental science, water that has 5,000 PPBs is considered hazardous waste. That should be damning enough right there, but it's not. In April, the state agency notifies EPA that Flint did not implement corrosion controls. Remember that wait and see policy? You know, it's kind of like when your doctor tells you, well, you know, looks like you have a, a, a tumor there. Might be malignant, might be benign. Well, wait and see. We won't bother to actually do a test to find out. That was the attitude. So the EPA said it was notified, according to their own website, by the M Michigan Department of uh, by the MDEQ on April 24th that quote the city did not have corrosion I'm sorry corrosion control treatment in place at the Flint Water Treatment Plant. Okay, 
So the EPA knows about this. Michigan state officials know. The people of Flint are suffering. July 13th, there was a leaked internal memo from the EPA, and this is according to Media Dad Public Broadcasting. Um, and this leaked internal memo from the EPA talked about concern about lead levels, especially including the level at Leanne Walters' home, you know, the lady who had an amount of that PDB that was, her water was basically considered hazardous waste, well beyond that actually. And the ACLU picks up the report. Michigan Radio con- tries to contact MDEQ for the comment about the memo. And spokesman Brad Werfel says, quote, let me start here. Anyone who's concerned about lead in the drinking water in Flint can relax. Um, Werfel goes on to say that he hadn't seen the memo, but that the preliminary tests show that the test at Ms. Walter's home was, quote, an outlier. Werfel told Michigan Radio, quote, it does not look like there's any broad problem with the water supply freeing up lead as it goes to homes, end quote. Apparently, Mr. Werfel must think that there must be some magic water going to Ms. Walter's home and that it's not shared by other homes in the area. I don't know. I don't know how these people got away with this. August 20th, lead level samples excluded from a report. The MBEQ just dropped the samples from an initial report on lead levels from the city. And when they dropped the lead level samples from the report, then the city was within federally mandated levels. In other words, the MDEQ, when they dropped the lead level samples, they not only tampered with data, but they falsified an official federal report. More criminality still. Um, Michigan Radio reported, quote, the state had just dropped one high sample. Flint still would have been over the federal action level, but dropping two samples put them below the action level, end quote. And officials said two samples didn't meet federal, federal criterion because one of the samples had a water filter and another came from a business as opposed to a home. September, Virginia Tech teams find serious lead levels in Flint. A team from Virginia Tech, according to a Flint water study in 2015, they tested hundreds of homes for lead in Flint, and they found that, quote, preliminary tests show serious levels of lead in city water. Um, Dr. Mark Edwards, who was a member of that Virginia Tech team, told Michigan Radio, quote, the levels that we've seen in Flint are some of the worst that I have seen in more than 25 years working in the field. And we go back to MDEQ spokesman, Mr. Wurzel, and he just poo-pooed the, the, Mich- the Virginia Tech results. He told Michigan Radio, quote, I don't know how they're getting the results they're getting. I know that it doesn't match with any of the sur- other surveillance in the area, end quote. And then in an email to MLive journalist Ron Funger, Wurzel went on to state, he wrote, <coughs> excuse me, quote, it's scientifically probable a research team that specialized in looking for lead in water could have found it in Flint when the city was on its old water supply. We don't know that, but, we've, but they've only just arrived in town and quickly proven the theory they set out to prove. And while the state um, appreciates academic participation in this discussion, offering bri- broad, dire public health service based on some quick testing 
could be seen as fanning political flames irresponsibly. Residents of Flint concerned about the health of the community don't need more of that, end quote. So now there was a September interview with NPR. And on this, <coughs> Dr. Edwards from the Virginia Tech team said, quote, Flint is the only city in America that I'm aware of that does not have a corrosion control plan. September 24th, the study found elevated lead levels in children. And this was a study from the Hurley Medical Center locally. And they found that 2.1% of children under age 5, age 5 and under, that is, had elevated blood level, had elevated blood level, that. Let me start here. Hurley Medical Center found that kids age 5 and under had elevated blood level, blood lead levels before the water supply was switched to Flint. After the switch, there were, it doubled to 4%. And a spokesman from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services tried to attribute the uh, elevated lead level results to a result of seasonal changes around the change in the water source. September 25th, there was a city-led advisory. October 2nd, I'm going to move on, water filters and testing. There's an action plan released by Governor Snyder um, saying the city and state will provide free filters and water testing. October 16th, switch back to Detroit Water Supply, which is now called the Great Lakes Water Authority. October 18th, state regulator cites confusion about federal protocols. Oh, excuse me. <coughs> and it goes on. December 29th, state, of, state regulation officials resign. Uh, the director of MBEQ, Dan Wyatt, and their spokesperson, Mr. Werfel. And that came a day after the Flint Water Advisory Task Force, created by Governor Snyder, released a preliminary report on the crisis and said, and basically concluded that the major responsibility was with the MDEQ. January 2016, Snyder and Obama declare state of emergency. Um, January 21st, EPA issues emergency order. February 3rd, testimony from Flint officials and experts. Um, they have to testify before the House Committee on Oversight and Government Reform. February 17th, Governor Snyder testifies um, along with EPA Administrator Gina McCarthy, and they testified before the House Committee on Oversight and Government Reform. And Governor Snyder was quoted saying, quote, let me be blunt. This is in his opening statement. This was a failure of government at all levels, local, state, and federal officials. We all failed the families of Flint, end quote. But what he doesn't mention is what a series of decisions led to this disaster. So finally, um, we have March 21st, Next Steps for Flint. Um, they replaced the city's 8,000 lead service lines. Um, March 23rd, independent probe pins blame on state officials. Said MDEQ bears primary responsibility. April 12th, researchers say Flint's water is still unsafe. Um, April 20th, criminal charges are filed against three officials. Okay. So basically, Stephen Bush, Michael Frisbee, they, are, they were state officials at MDEQ. 
and city employee Michael Glasgow is Flint's water quality supervisor. Those three faced, according to this quote, faced felony charges including misconduct, neglect of duty, and conspiracy to tamper with evidence. They've also been charged with violating Michigan State's Drinking Water Act, end quote. June 22nd, lawsuit filed against two corporations. One was filed against Veolia, which is a French company hired as a water quality consultant in 2015. And then Texas-based firm Lockwood, Andrews, and Newman, hired in 2011, helped operate the water treatment plant using the Flint River. The civil lawsuit accuses both firms of negligence and public nuisance. It also accuses Veolia of fraud. July 29th, criminal charges against six officials. Okay, this all sounds good, but it doesn't come down to why this happened. Now those responsible beyond the surface facts. And, and if it sounds confusing, this really was just one disaster after another. The money powers that worked to dismantle local democracy. Once Flint was robbed of its right to local democracy, they were easy prey. So this is an article uh, in PR Watch from 2016 um, by Arn Pearson. Headline, Flint is a casualty in the right wing's war on local democracy. So how did a city like Flint, Michigan, end up being poisoned with lead? Well, here's what happened. This was during the time when Governor Snyder and these other people were testifying in D.C. before Congress, congressional committees. So Democrats focused their anger on Governor Rick Snyder. Republicans tried to, you know, deflect blame and send blame to the EPA because they have always hated that agency. They don't want any regulation for polluters. The two members of Congress focused on the real culprit, and it was Governor Snyder's emergency manager law. And this emergency manager law has really stripped Flint of any democratic control, any right to self-govern, and all the power was transferred to unaccountable executives that were handpicked by the governor, in this instance, Governor Snyder. Representative Bonnie Watson Coleman, Democratic, Democrat from New Jersey, asked, did that emergency management system fail under your leadership in this manner? And Snyder said that would be a fair, fair, a fair conclusion. Um, and Jerry Connolly, Democrat of Virginia, said, this is a failure of philosophy of, government, of governance you, ad, you advocated. A city in America is on its knees because of your emergency manager's decision to save $4 million, and now it's going to cost a lot more to clean up. Is this really happening in the world's leading republic, end quote. So what we're really getting to is who's funding the war on local democracy, especially for low-income areas. So Governor Snyder's emergency manager law was a controversy from the very beginning. It had been orchestrated by a network of think tanks and committees. And the money, in part, came from the billionaire family of the DeVos, Betsy DeVos and her husband, Dick DeVos. Yes, the same ones. Money also came from the Michigan Chamber of Commerce and from the Cokes. Yes, Coke Industries, the Cokes. There was record spending by outside groups in 2010, and then also Snyder put up $6 million of his own fortune um, to help Snyder become governor in Michigan. Okay? And the the... The Republicans had a lock on political powers, uh, you know, finally, okay? The Republican Governors Association, Michigan 2010 PAC, 
um, became, quote, the largest political action committee in the history of Michigan politics, end quote, according to Michigan Campaign Finance Network. Okay, so here's what happened. The RGA, the Republican Governors Association, raised and redistri redistributed $114 million to PACs in about 15 states. And that helped them uh, basically elect a lot of right-wing governors, according to Mother Jones, including Scott Walker in, in um, Wisconsin. And right-wing billionaires and those corporations played a big role in raising that money. Open Secret website, their record shows the DeVos family, which manufactures and distributes Amway, um, and pumped $1.9 million into the RGA in 2010. David Koch gave $1 million. His brother William chipped in $100,000, and Koch Industries another $50,000. For them, this is chump change. Um, Paul Singer who is a hedge fund vulture, according to Greg pa journalist Greg Palace, also gave $1.4 million, and casino magnate Sheldon Adelson gave a million as well. And then News America, which is a subsidiary, Rupert Murdoch's News Corp., um, and that owns Fox, uh, chipped in another $1.3 million. The DeVos dynasty targets Michigan because that's where they live. So Snyder was originally a business executive and venture capitalist. And he campaigned as a moderate Republican. And he was going to run the state like a business. But that wasn't the truth. The Republicans, their goal was to, quote, break the union, scrap public sector labor contracts, and privatize government services, end quote. So Dick DeVos, he is the son of the Amway co-founder, Richard DeVos. Um, he started pushing this agenda he spent $35 million of his family fortune to run for governor in 06, but he lost. So anyway, they helped get Snyder elected. After Snyder was elected, devotes back groups, uh, including one known as the Mackinac Center for Public Policy, helped push this legislative agenda. Now, the Mackinac Center began in 1987. This is according to sourcewatch.org. And it's one of the country's largest state-based right-wing pressure groups. They promote, quote, free market, pro-business policies. They're also an, the Mackinac Center is also a member of the State Policy Network, which is also an affiliate of the American Legislative Exchange Council, or ALEC. And all these groups are cogs in the Koch machines. Now, Mackinac has been one of the key groups leading the charge on a lot of these anti-democratic moves. Uh, Ronald Reagan once, um, they said, well, they said may have once said, quote, where free unions and collective bargaining are forbidden, freedom is lost, but that's just crazy liberal talk as far as the Mackinac Center is concerned. Um, so apparently Reagan said where free unions and collective bargaining are forbidden, freedom is lost. Okay, but according to Mackinac, that's just craziness. Uh, a Mackinac staffer, according in Mother Jones, Mackinac staffers told a state legislator in 2011, quote, our goal is to outlaw government collective bargaining in Michigan, end quote. Mackinac's been uh, fueled by DeVos as well as people from the Koch circle. Um, and so here's what happened. Mackinac was at the root of these emergency manager powers. So on March 16, 2011, 
right after Snyder was sworn in as governor of Michigan, he signed Public Act 4 into law. And what Public Act 4 did is allowed the governor to take basically total control over any municipality in the state that was struggling financially. And he could do so by appointing an emergency manager. Okay. Now, the emergency manager law dates back to 1988 in Michigan, but that was supposed to be for financial managers, and that was supposed to have limited powers. But this was different. Mackinac Center's Lewis Schimmel was pushing for basically loosening those power limits and expanding manager powers, and he was doing so in, as early as 2005. And Mackinac argued that, quote, the state's policy prescription for fiscally floundering cities should be to appoint far more powerful emergency financial managers than they have in the past, end quote. So they got that, all right? And so these emergency managers in Michigan through Mackinac had the power to set aside, to basically nullify locally elected mayors, city councils. They could break union contracts. They could totally toss out or revise municipal charters. Basically, they could just walk in because the community was poor and struggling and say, you don't have the right to self-govern. You don't have the right to democracy anymore. We have an emergency manager now appointed by the governor and mayor, you're out of a job. City councilman, you're out of a job. Your charter, everything is gone. We, you're going to do exactly what we said and the emergency manager becomes a dictator. All while, in the meanwhile, the emergency manager gets legal immunity from any liability regarding the actions, regarding the results of their actions. Think about that for a second. The emergency manager can set aside local governments, toss them out, for, and the only crime is that these were communities that were low income or poor. And in the meanwhile, the emergency manager gets legal immunity from any liability regarding the results of their actions. That alone should have brought malfeasance charges against Governor Snyder, but it didn't. And you have to realize this, a bunch of concerned citizens denounced the Emergency Manager Act as, quote, financial martial law, and it is. The Emergency Manager Act basically rescinds the right to democratic self-rule because the community is poor. It, 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 it's vile. There were other cities that had emergency managers, including New York City in the 70s. But again, those powers were limited to financial matters, not to political matters. The emergency manager law in Michigan that was pushed by Governor Snyder and Louis Schimmel and the Mackinac Center, that wasn't just finances. That was basically gave them the right to control all political matters as well. It was basically a dictatorship. No doubt about it. So how does that tie in with Flint? Well, because guess what? Flint had an emergency manager. And that emergency manager is immune from any prosecution, apparently. So Snyder chose the architect of, this, of these expanded emergency powers, namely Mackinac Lewis Schimmel, he was the first person appointed as an emergency manager um, for Pontiac, Michigan. And within months, Schimmel fired 
city officials privatized the entire public works department. People were angry, angry, Schimmel didn't care. When Schimmel was asked by a local radio station if that law made him a dictator, Schimmel said, quote, I guess I'm the tyrant. Um, I guess I'm the tyrant in Pontiac then, if that's the way it is, end quote. But Schimmel got slapped down from state court judge Ray Lee Shabot, who reversed the manager's action to cut Pontiac's pension board in half. And that was a decision that ignored apparently legal requirements in Michigan's Open Meetings Act. And Judge Shabot said, it looks like a dictatorship. So now, state-controlled Pontiac outsources water to an indicted corporation. Sound familiar before Flint? So Schimmel took control of Pontiac. Um, and he, before he had it, uh, they, his predecessor, my name, man named Michael Stampler, um, outsourced the city's water treatment to United Water Services. Now, watchdog Chris Savage broke the story on a collective blog, quote, this is big news because the giant for-profit water company has just been indicted by a federal grand jury in 2010 on 26 felony counts of conspiracy and Clean Water Act violations for its mishandling of water services in Gary, Indiana. Okay. So Schimmel completed the outsourcing process, though, and he turned full control over to United Water. And in short time, there were complaints of water quality, water outages, sewer backups. <coughs> Excuse me. So all the water the warning signs were there for Flint. And so Watchdog Savage really summed it up. Quote, Emergency financial managers are generally good at what they do. They are typically trained as accountants and business optimizers. They know how to trim and cut and lean out organizations to squeeze every last drop of, profit, drop of profits out of them. Unfortunately, for the residents of Michigan, things like parks, public safety, and the protection of natural resources don't produce profits and generally are presented as costs. When we begin to put a price tag on the very things that make our city, society, and state good, safe, livable, and lovable, while putting CPA-like emergency financial managers in charge, you can expect these things will suffer in order to save money, even if it puts our citizens at risk, end quote. So <clears throat> there were a lot of protests. People were demanding, uh, the people of Michigan got more than 200,000 signatures to push a voter initiative, Proposal 1, on the November 2012 ballot. And that was to repeal Snyder's Governor Snyder's expanded emergency manager law. Again, this all affected Flint because Flint had an emergency manager and that was the person that switched their water. So Stand Up for Democracy, the ballot committee backing Proposal 1, um, got most of its funding from the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, um, according to Michigan Campaign Finance Network. Opposition to this was led by Bob LeBrant, senior counsel at the Sterling Corporation, which is a leading GOP PR firm, and um, their ballot committee was called Citizens for Fiscal Responsibility, and they pushed a court fight. And they, they went to court to try and basically remove Proposal 1 from the ballot. Again, these people despise democracy. The effort failed, and the group they found basically that on November 6, 2012, 53% of Michigan voters 
voted to repeal Snyder's emergency manager law. But that didn't stop Snyder or Mackinac Center. A little, little less than a month later, Snyder pushed a slightly revised bill. This was in the lame duck legislature. This bill restored the unconstitutional and total power of emergency managers, but he added one other thing. He added what was called an appropriation, according to Daily Cost. And, and there, under Michigan law, when you add an appropriation to a bill, that prevents it from being subject to referendum. So in other words, when he added that appropriation, that meant that even if people got citizens got uh, a petition together to put it back on the, on the ballot, they couldn't. So again, this is what happened. And the people of Flint had no chance, all right? And Michigan's emergency manager law then was basically restored. And the new law did contain a choose your poison, according to eclectic blog, um, type choice. And this was a comprehensive look at Michigan's newest emergency manager law, now with stability. What the heck? Okay, folks, I think I'm, no, I'm still there. Okay. Um, so the choose your poison provision allowed municipalities, there wasn't much of a choice really. They could choose between either having an emergency manager pushed on them, bankruptcy, arbitration, or a consent, decree, a consent agreement. Okay? That wasn't much of a choice. What wasn't on the table for poor cities was basically any repeal of the large corporate income tax cut that Snyder handed the Michigan 1% and their businesses in 2011. So Snyder protected the rich. That's what happened. Okay, so emergency manager law said, all right, you can either choose an emergency manager or you can go bankrupt or you can go in arbitration, which basically means you're going to have an emergency manager that's going to be a dictator anyway, or a consent decree agreement, which is the same thing. What he didn't include was any repeal of this massive corporate income tax cut, which was worth, according to this article, according to Arne Pearson, an estimated $1.7 billion per year. So Snyder protected the rich. And that's what really happened in, in Flint, okay? So the right wing had spent millions to, to make sure that they could hold on to a device that allowed them to revoke democratic self-rule in poor communities and communities of color. So the expanded emergency manager com management comes to Flint. Flint lost 90% of its industrial workforce, suffered from disinvestment, and they had a small population. They had a severe financial crisis and at the time Snyder took office. So Snyder, since since the time Snyder took office back then, he appointed four emergency managers, and those managers seized control of the city's assets and dictated what was going to happen in Flint. Flint's voters did elect a new mayor in 2011, but a state review panel declared, quote, a local government financial emergency the same day, which meant if you have a local government financial emergency under this law, this unconstitutional law, guess what? Your mayor doesn't get to take office. Your city council doesn't. You have no power. You've been stripped of all your rights. 
And so Snyder installed his first emergency manager, Michael Brown. Brown, um, you know, just took charge, okay? Now, the AFSCME union filed suit. Um, they did get a restraining order on Brown, but that was Brown came back uh, in time by April. Um, Jack McHugh, McHugh at Mackinac Center claimed in a March 2012 column that municipal budget problems were, quote, a cancerous fiscal malpractice. And this Mr. McHugh from Mackinac um, said that Snyder's emergency manager expansion, quote, provided the, quote, rigorous chemotherapy needed to sustain the necessary functions of tapped out school districts and local governments, end quote. So apparently having the right to safe drinking water wasn't viewed as a human right by Mackinac. And sure enough, when, Mac, when Flint looked to form the new uh, water authority, um, the plan would obtain water from Lake Huron once the pipeline was complete. Uh, the emergency manager uh, and state treasurer approved the plan to switch water supplies a few weeks later. And this is when it all began, okay? And in 2014, the Detroit Water and Sewage Department notified Flint, you know, again, that they weren't going to be able to continue. And so that's when Flint's second emergency manager, Ed Kurtz, hired, a, brought in a private engineering firm um, that was supposed to come up with a plan to switch to the very polluted Flint River for the time in between. And that was just to save money. So then, in 2014, a man named Darnell Early became Snyder's third emergency manager for Flint. And he wrote, quote, that there will be no need for Flint to continue purchasing water to serve its residents and businesses after April 17, 2014. Uh, and he wrote to the uh, to DWSD, which was the Detroit, let's see, so basically the water and sewage district. Um, and in spite of the fact that the Detroit water and sewer districts uh, had multiple offers, they kept renewing their offers, uh, early wouldn't work out an agreement with them. And then, um, you know, Flint in 2014, April 25th, 2014, made that switch to the Flint River. And Emergency manager Earl Darnell Early said, quote, this is indeed the best choice for the city of Flint going forward, end quote. He also went on to say, quote, it will take two days before Flint residents can taste history, end quote. That was reported on M Live, Michigan Live. Well, that's true. They did taste, taste history. The water tasted bad. It smelled horribly. Um, the color Residents went through two boil advisories. Again, there was high coliform bacteria levels. There, was, there were unsafe levels of a carcinogenic chlorine byproduct. Okay. Flint City Council voted to return to Detroit water in 2015, but the emergency manager, manager Darnell Early, said no. In fact, there was a $7 million emergency loan from Governor Snyder State Government and that emergency loan to Flint was under the condition that Flint not, not rejoin the DTWS, the Detroit 
um, water system. So, again, blood contamination accusations piled up. The state kept saying there wasn't a problem. Um, back then, the only two national television news outlets that sounded the alarm at all that said anything about this was Rachel Maddow and Amy Goodman's Democracy Now. Okay. Um, and then finally, after nine months, okay, according to michiganradio.org, quote, that it took more than nine months after the state university, okay, after the state university um, found high level in the high lead level in the water before Snyder conceded and admitted that quote mistakes were made. And then the next day, Genesee County declared a public health emergency for Flint. Emails released by Snyder's office since then show that quote nearly every person and the governor's inner circle was aware of alarming concerns about the city's water, end quote, uh, since October of 2014. And according to a report by, excuse me, Mother Jones, um, there was a task force that was appointed by Snyder, and they found that scientists and individuals who tried to alarm, you know, basically tried to warn about Flint's water were, quote, met with aggressive dismissal, belittlement, and attempts to discredit their efforts, end quote. And a week later, Snyder announced that Flint would switch back to Detroit water at a cost of $12 million. Okay, that's fine, but the damage has already been done. According to CBS News, in a piece titled Doctors Explain the Long-Term Health Effects of Flint Water Crisis, the children of Flint now face permanent damage. It's also, uh, it was also reported by Detroit News that Flint's mayor said after a closed-door meeting with Snyder that the cost to replace pipes corroded by the Flint River water could reach $1.5 billion. You know, after that, you know, we have my native son, Michael Moore, calling for Snyder's arrest and so on and so forth. The fact is this, you had a, a think tank, if you will, a political group, Mackinac Center, funded by incredibly wealthy people. And they pushed this law, the emergency manager law, that basically revoked the right to local democracy to any community in their state for no other reason except that they were poor. That's it. Every attorney that's connected with that action should not only face charges and face civil lawsuit as well, they should be disbarred. Because as officers of the court, they basically committed treason against the very idea of democracy itself. Governor Snyder and any other politicians that were involved in this should face charges. Still, at the very least, criminal malfeasance, but also several other charges as well. They should face civil liability. The idea of the emergency manager law, that the managers are ba basically receive immunity from their actions, is ludicrous. 
For too long now, we have seen lawmakers, both at the local, state, and federal level, think that they can write any law that they want and everybody has to obey with no respect for true rule of law, with no respect for democracy itself. Rule of law means that the law is applied equally across the board and there is no privilege. And democracy means that no, no body, whether it is a president, a U.S. Congress, a state Congress, a governor, a mayor, no political body has the right to sign away anyone else's legal or political rights, period. They just don't. This is common sense. And the fact is a bunch of babies in Flint will face permanent damage because these people at Mackinac basically were so greedy that they wanted to, they wanted to collect every penny they could. This, what happened to the citizens of Flint is a crime against humanity. What happened to the citizens of Flint also constitutes environmental racism because the majority of residents in Flint are black, period. There's no guesswork here. It couldn't be more obvious. There's more details, and I probably, I kind of went through as fast as I could. But the fact is, we're going to be looking more at this idea of an emergency manager law, especially as it, as it affects environmental issues and issues of environmental racism. We see these laws being formed everywhere where they strip people that are not rich of their human rights. And we can't allow this to continue. Meanwhile, we saw thugs invade D.C. yesterday, and they, and, and they were complaining because a, their guy didn't win. That's all. They wanted to maintain their white male privilege. That's not justice. Justice cannot exist where there is any privilege, period, of any type. And so we're going to keep looking at this, all right? There's a lot more information here, way too much to cover in just one show. As a former teacher, I taught 30 years in St. Louis City Public Schools. I have personally seen the damage done to children who had lead poisoning. And it is just positively evil. We need to hold these people legally accountable, period. Governor, Ex-Governor Snyder needs to be held accountable. Louis Schimmel needs to be held accountable. The people that at Mackinac need to be held accountable. Nobody is above the law. They just aren't. You can't have justice and... You can't have rule of law without justice, and you can't have justice without fairness. And those that preach that they want peace and there's no justice fail to understand there can't be any peace without justice. That's it. It's really that simple. 
and the people that condemned the children of Flint to permanent brain damage, to all sorts of neurological problems, they must be brought into court and they must be held legally accountable. They need to face criminal prosecution as well as civil prosecution, and they need to provide for those families, for those children, for the rest of their lives. That's it. You know, Holocaust survivor and Nobel Prize laureate Ali Wiesel once basically said, I'm just paraphrasing, that the opposite of good isn't evil. It's indifference. In fact, I would argue that the true nature of evil is cold-blooded indifference, and that was exactly what was demonstrated by the Mackinac Center, by the 1%, by the Cokes, the DeVoses, and yes, by Governor Snyder. I wish I could talk about this more. We will cover this law in more depth at another time. But I'm going to say goodnight. This is Janine Moloff with the Environmental Justice Report. Good night and God bless.